And to me, that is the thing that is like the most, most important thing. I think that we leave it, companies leave a ton of value on the table because they're just not operating efficiently as a team. And it's because they don't have shared data that matters, right? The, the data that matters is this connection to your product, to the outside world. What is the, what is the field saying? What is the product engineer saying? You bring those two things together in a way that they are green upon. And I think that we're going to see a dramatic change in the way people build technology. Welcome to Pre-Sales Heroes, which is from Vivin, the world's first platform for pre-sales. Today, we're talking to Vivin's first chief data scientist, Joe Miller, about why pre-sales should care about data science. Hi, I'm Greg Howard, and I'm happy to be talking to Joe Miller, Vivin's very first chief data scientist. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you for uh, setting this up. You're calling from uh, New York? Yep. I'm, I'm based out of New York City in Manhattan. Uh, my wife and two kids live here. That's that's awesome. Well, welcome to Vivin. You're you're our brand new uh, star employee, and maybe we'll have lots to talk about in terms of what you're going to be doing at Vivin. But maybe we'll just start out with your hero origin story. Uh, when you were when you were five years old, did you say I want to be a data scientist? <laughs> uh, I'm not even sure data scientist was a, a term back then, but uh, <laughs> but uh, but it's not it's not far off actually. It's um, I, I don't really think of myself as a data scientist, anyways. Um, I sort of think that that's that, that's a little bit of a, a more recent uh, term. I think it's like it's sexy now, but um, I just I just always called it a scientist. Um, and when I was five, that is exactly what I wanted to do is is become a scientist. And um, I, I sort of think about the difference between how how that framework uh, of just being a scientist versus you know calling yourself a data scientist or like anchoring on that is a little bit um, a little bit like trying to define what a painter is by the brushes that they use you know um, it's really about the frameworks and the and the way you think about how uh, you model the world how do you try to understand the world what are the what are the processes you go through to adopt new beliefs about it um, and then ultimately try to affect change in it um, and so for to me that those the, the latter things there are all very much in the wheelhouse of just a scientist. Um, and I definitely wanted to do that like my entire life. I actually wanted to start out being a paleontologist hunting for dinosaur bones, which I think is like every fifth, you know, five-year-old. I, uh, I still want to do that. I'm waiting for my chance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want to do that. And then, um, and then I, then I learned that a paleontologist wasn't, uh, the same thing as an archaeologist, although they're related, obviously. <laughs> and then I, and then I was like, I think I just want to be Indiana Jones. I think that was like the main, the main point I wanted to take home. But, um, but I did, I did um, pursue science um, my entire life. Uh, my background in education is actually in physics. Um, I started out in, in a community college out in, in San Diego, actually, after a brief music, musical, uh, professional music, musical career. Um, and then I went to a community college on, on the encouragement of my best friends. We're all like, you got to get back to college. You, you would love it. And I was like, I pretty much hated school. Um, but I gave it a shot, um, signed up, uh, literally the day of classes, like three hours before the first class started. And, uh, and I, I told the counselor, I was like, you know, I, I want to be a physicist and, um, I want to go to Berkeley. And, and they said, well, the, uh, we like your high aspirations and you should have a backup plan because like if, if your first 30 seconds of planning is anything to do with how you are, you might want a backup plan. So I, uh, so I signed up, I literally got a backpack and then two hours later I was in my first class and then I, I did transfer to Berkeley and then I double majored in physics and economics there. And then um, I worked at, while I was there, I worked at Lawrence Berkeley National Labs for a few years as, as a nuclear physicist. 
And then, um, and that's actually not, not in physics, but, um, while I was up in the Bay area is when, um, I met John Bruce, one of the other co-founders and, um, John and I have been really close friends ever since that was like, I think 2008, maybe something like that. Yeah. And, John uh, Bruce is our co-founder and CTO of Vivin just to, just to add that point in. Right. And so, um, yeah. And then, and then I went and did my PhD at Cornell. Um, and, uh, and then out of that, I, I got recruited by Bridgewater Associates. And then a few years later, I got a call from John, um, saying that they, you know, they wanted me to come on and, and do some of this, uh, look at some, what we can do with some of this data and build sort of data science architecture for the firm. And, um, and I got really excited. So, um, so that's, that's how I landed here. That's a that's a great that's a great career trajectory. I'm I'm curious when you were told, hey, you need a backup plan. If you're like, well, I'm was going to be a professional physician, so my backup <laughs> plan is to be a rock star. That's good. Every time I tell the story now, I'm going to use that. Yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> I, I, you had a backup. It was sort of the unusual, the one people don't think it was. But uh, yeah. you still play. Oh, I do. I do. I still play. Right now, I'm actually, um, I play a few instruments. I'm not really any good, um, despite having a, a small career in it. Um, but I'm trying to actually teach myself violin um, over the summer. Uh, it's, oh. it's not going well. It's it's slow, slow going. But um, it is, it is. I ultimately want to be able to play uh, in like an Irish fiddle band, like at a pub for the rest of my life, and then just die an old man teaching physics and playing Irish fiddle. That would be my dream. That's how I vision my life going. <laughs> Between that and Indiana Jones, we have more in common than I expected between <laughs> before starting this conversation. So that's that's awesome. Perfect. Um, okay, so so it's interesting. So John Bruce told you about Vivin, which is you know the uh, our, our pre sales platform, and and you got excited, and, and I'm interested to, to talk about that because when you when you think of words that go together, one doesn't always think of pre sales and data science, but of course that's that's now you spend a lot of time thinking about that. And uh, we'll talk about your kind of what you want to do at Vivid in a second, but I'm, I'm really interested just to uh, talk more generally because you're talking about frameworks and viewpoints, which is a great way of kind of grounding what a scientist does. You know, how, how do you, how do, what do you, what do you think about data science and pre-sales and how should any pre-sales leader why should they care about something like data science, irrespective of whether they're using something like Vivin? Yeah, good question. Um, I think that I think that to answer that question, you kind of have to start at at what is the goal of any any suite of tools like data science or any any field of science. But what is the goal of what you're trying to do? You're trying to do, I think, a couple things. One is you're trying to understand how the world works, right? And that could be pre-sales, that could be nuclear physics. It, it doesn't make any difference. It's all the same. It's like I, there is a, a, a set of actions that are happening in the world and you're trying to make sense of them, right? In business, um, we care about doing that because we want to affect some change in the way that business is done, right? And so ultimately, that boils up into the space where you have to be able to make decisions differently. I have to behave differently. I want to induce behavioral differences in the world around me, right? And so data science from that perspective is really a really powerful way of doing that because as humans, like we don't tend to, as, as often as it might seem, uh, we don't tend to actually do random things. What we do is make a lot of decisions with uncertainty. That's certainly true. Uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to accept as much uncertainty in business or anything else um, as we do. And so for me, when I look at like pre-sales, um, the thing that was really exciting to me is just like any field that um, that you're trying to do science in or trying to understand is that one, it's not really understood all that well. 
uh, it doesn't get a lot of attention in terms of, you know, data science and such. Um, and then two, it's actually this really interesting, from my perspective, uh, this interesting like linchpin in making a very paradigm shift in the way technology evolves its products. Um, and so what do I mean by that? So the way, uh, you know, I, I have a series of other of other startups in the past. Um, I have had my go of trying to sell technology products to the world. And um, it can be really challenging because um, I'm more of on the edge of the product manager type. That was um, uh, roles that I've had in the past. And what I have found is that as a product manager, I am often in this world where I am shaping the vision. I have a idea of what this product should be. How should my technology evolve? What does the world want? And I'm 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 doing that. I'm I'm wrestling with all of those problems, right? And then what's ironic is that I have you know a group of salesmen um, and account managers out in the world actually trying to sell and affect the change that I am proposing in my head uh, exist, right? And it's funny because we all end up sort of optimizing for our own specific goals. And so you get this like weird subgrouping in companies. And, uh, you know, as you start to found a company, you start to think a little bit higher level and you're like, what is the ultimate thing I want for this company? Well, I ultimately want the, I want to affect the change in the mission statements that my company has, but I want also it to be sustainable. That is to say, I need it to be profitable, right? And to be profitable, I need all my subgroups to actually work together to focus on that goal, the higher level business goal. And then so often, uh, instead, you get all the subgroups sort of optimizing for their own specific things, and there's like friction in the gears, right? And what's crazy to me is that when I was walking through it with John and Matt, um, the CEO, um, it was it was fascinating to me because it the data here that was collected in this part of the business um, is one neglected, poorly understood, and two, what I mean when I said it, it was the linchpin is that I actually think that it can change the incentive structure of the other subgroups. And realign uh, all of the, the way that you build out features, the way you think about your technology evolving, the way you would go sell it to, to other companies. Um, all of those things sort of align better when you think about the data that is unique to the pre-sales environment. It's the, the nature of the data and, and its untapped potential is what kind of excites you from a, from a scientist perspective. You're like, no one's ever leveraged this data to uh, affect change in an organization, and, but it's just sitting there waiting to be done and you thought, hey, I could be the one to do it. That's right. Yeah, that's really neat. And so if so, if so, that makes a lot of sense. And then I, I think it's really kind of a philosophy that drives the company is that there is this incredible untapped potential, not just in terms of how people perceive the pre-sales function, but just in terms of all the data that they're on top of that's not being tapped. But if you were if you were um, a pre-sales leader and, you know, you weren't using Vivin because this, this podcast isn't necessarily for people who are. How would you advise them to go about their the environment or the world they live in to think about that data and how they might be able to leverage it for their own purposes? Yeah, I think that um, first, the, the, the first part of it is that there's like random data in the world, right? There's unstructured data in the world. Every time your sales engineer or your account manager or your product manager has a conversation, that's there's information transacted, right? And that is raw data. That is effectively what's going on, right? The sales engineers and, and account managers being out in the field, interacting with demand, uh, figuring out what the customers are looking for, where the trends are going, things like that, Who, what the competitive landscape is doing. All of those things it, are pieces of data that are just unstructured, right? And so the first step is just structure that data, organize that data. Now, here's like the trap of all of this, right, is that 
when you go to collect that data, if you do, you can do it poorly or you can do it well, right? If you do it poorly, you might just like drop it into Excel files. It might be in a space where it becomes uncompoundable or it can't be shared or it can't be leveraged in, in, in higher level uh, um, information, right? The other way is that if you think about it, when you start to organize that data and put it into a systems where it can be leveraged, you are actually doing another thing sort of under the covers. And that is you're modeling the world. You have to start thinking about what are the features that I care about? How do I quantify them? How do I store that information? And when you go, when you're going through that, you can do those things in a lot of different ways. And the way that you choose actually bakes in a lot of assumptions about how you think about the world, right? And so the whole point of it is that like, man, there's a ton of really interesting information there. There's a ton of data that would, if you can structure it and organize it, then you can leverage it for better, for better decision-making. And that will literally change the way you do your business right? You will make different decisions because of that data. And so I think that like from, uh, from my perspective, why would anybody use, uh, use Vivint or, or any other tool? Why would they even go down this exercise? It's purely for the obvious answer of like, you will make different decisions. Those decisions will be better leveraged by information and you will have less error and you will be able to capture better opportunity. You will make more intelligent decisions, right? And that's like the reason why we do any science. <laughs> so uh, to me, that's like the primary reason that anybody should take this seriously. Yeah, it seems to me, I mean, it's sort of a cliche, I guess, to say that anybody in business needs to be data-driven, but it, it does seem to me that pre-sales in particular has been, it's not that they haven't been data-driven, but they haven't they, they haven't had the ability to tap this particular resource. And so they're probably using a version of, like you said, Excel spreadsheets, maybe Salesforce with custom fields and custom objects. And uh, exactly to your point that, that ends up, um, you know, informing some of the some of the outcome of how that data is perceived and interpreted, and in some ways that that can uh, you know that that can sometimes work, but sometimes can't. Good. Now you, you've been you've been kind of uh, freelancing for Vivin before you joined full time. Is that right? Yes, um, I helped Vivin um, raise in their seed round, um, and because I was working at another firm. Um, I t- sort of took an advisory role um, until we could get the the firm rolling, and so um, the the rapid growth in in Vivid has been I mean ridiculous. Like it is it is the thing that you hope for when you start. You must feel you must feel good about that. Oh yeah, I feel great about that. Having you know um, uh, built other startups and some fail and some succeed, it is the it is this is the thing you want to feel when uh, when you're this at this level in the in the game here. Um, it's exactly what we hoped for. It's the space of saying like, man, we've built some tools that we think will help people change the way they they think about their technology and how they sell their technology, um, and ultimately achieve the the missions of the, of their company, and it's working. Right. That's what you want to see is that, well, uh, we built a thing and it works and it helps people and that people are getting more efficient and they're adopting it. Right. And you're like, that is a rewarding feeling because for our mission, our mission is to, to see them achieve their missions. Right. And so the the fact that you see that, like that virtuous cycle, it's it's really exciting. It's a very fun time to be um, part of a startup. So it's really the thing that I think most startup uh, founders love is this this moment that we're in. Yeah, you, you get very you get very hooked on the adrenaline of, of the wins, <laughs> particularly at the end of the quarter, like we just had where all these amazing uh, people signed up. And and to your point, a lot of them were you know touting some of the stuff that I, I know that you had your fingerprints on. There was a, a case study I just did with a, a MRI software. They said that their entire sales leadership now looks towards the hero score to help with forecasting. And of course, the hero score is something that you um, you know, put into our platform to, to help become a technical conscience of the deal, um, among many other things you've done. Maybe you can just talk a little bit, uh, 
Joe, about some of the things you, you have worked on and then maybe kind of what the future roadmap for you looks like. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that is um, really powerful about the, the data that we get from the pre-sales, um, the pre-sales pipeline is uh, is the conversational data that happens between a sales engineer and say a, a, an account, right? Um, you might you might read these descriptions of what does the customer asking for? And it's just like a paragraph, right? It's like somebody talking in their own voice about the gaps that they see. Somebody talking in another field might be somebody talking in their own voice about the competitive landscape. Like our client or our, our competitor has, you know, A and B features the client wants A, B, and C features. We only have B and C, right? And then there's a conversation about like, you know, the difference between those things. And it's all in like in free speech, right? It's all in, in plain text and, and it's there. And to structure that information is is a real challenge, right? This is the the field of NLP. I think anybody in this, in data science would, um, would, would probably be sympathetic to say like, it is a really challenging part of the field. However, it is a really rich part of the field, right? Um, and there's a lot of things that we gather from that. Um, some of the things that we, we have, a, we have some proprietary algorithms that help us organize the way people talk about, um, about product gaps, for example. Um, so we can say, hey, this group of issues looks a little bit like this other group of issues. Um, maybe the the solution is what there's actually one solution for these things. And we can have, you know, the computer help sort through thousands of those types of records and find those universal solutions and say like these things are, and then put a dollar value to it, right? Because we have that, we have that ability and we can say, this is your opportunity cost for solving this problem. Right. Um, and I, I think that's unbelievably powerful. Um, in the future, the things that we're doing is trying to double down a little bit on that exercise of saying like, man, there's a lot of rich information here. Um, there's a lot of things that can be predictive of whether or not the deal is likely to close or how much effort somebody should spend on it, or if you should change out the team, right? A different people, some, uh, you know, sales is still a person to person business, right? Not everybody has the same success rate because sometimes you just hit it off with somebody and you don't with the other person, right? And that can have all the difference. And so being able to do analytics on that and say, um, and get early reads out of pulling out the sentiment, for example, or the types of things that are talked about, or the types of issues um, that are coming out in, in, the, in the conversation between the customer and the sales team, you can start to say like, you can start to make early interventions, right? You can start to say like, hey, Joe is really uh, good at this type of deal, but he's not so great at this other deal. Maybe we should shuffle these two people around and we have a higher probability of closing both deals, right? Or, hey, this thing was doing really well. The um, It seemed like a really positive momentum in the deal. And then all of a sudden it's kind of like falling off what's going on. And now this thing can pop that to you and remind you very intangible in terms what is going on here? Why is the hero score dropping? Um, and then be able to explain that back to you and pull out the segments and, and, and show its evidence, right? Show what is the conversation? What was the last conversation? Where did the momentum go? When was the last time somebody talked, et cetera, those types of things. And just really give that rich insight that helps decision makers um, make those make make the ne their next move. That's actually uh, kind of amazing. I just had a vision. So you've got a, you know, you've got a list of your teammates and based on the the conversations of the platform's recording, you, the platform kind of bubbles up. You know, you want to assign Norman and Sandra and Bip to this deal because based on what we've heard and based on their patterns of win rates in the past, they're the ones best suited to tackle this opportunity. That's right. It's I mean, it's not, it's not crazy um, when we think about building a team, right? It's just like playing football or something. It's like you, you, you feel the particular team for a particular type of strategy, right? If you change your strategy, then you have to change the team. 
right? And so there's a lot of this, it, there's a lot of this happening inside of companies now. And people just don't have the analytical power to be able to, to sort through that. Instead, what you rely on is like the intuition of managers and such like that. But what that ends up ultimately doing is leaving you with the same problem that we had in the beginning, right? When we talked about certain sales engineers having their own data in their Excel file, but not it, it can't be shared with somebody else. So the wisdom and the insight and the lessons learned don't propagate through the whole firm. Whereas here we can say like, look, we have a universal way of kind of looking at what is the type of deal? What is the type of customer? What are the types of challenges? What are the types of people working on those things? And then be imagine being able to combine those types of people to tackle, uh, to, to be best suited to tackle that those problems, right? Um, I think that that will be a very big trend that you'll see um, over the next five, 10 years in, in in business in general is basically people analytics and using that to make predictive decision making about whether or not um, this team is optimized for the particular challenge that they have. Yeah, I love the, I love the metaphor about about a football team and, and figuring out the right players to assign for the for the play you have in mind. You know, there's that's an awesome f- feature vision. There's something that your your um, the unstructured language piece you discussed is doing now very successfully for Vivint customers, which is that it because you're able to capture the, the, that conversations, those data now between the, the customers and the prospects and pre-sales, which is the exact moment when they're most invested in, in the product they're buying. They're giving incredible product intelligence back to pre-sales, which generally is not captured or is misinterpreted or just lost by an organization. But because Vivint captures it, that funnels right back to the product team. And it's amazing to me how many of our customers are actually using this to improve the pre-sales product interlock and to improve overall product market fit because they're capturing opportunity gaps, they're capturing technical blockers, they're making the changes, they're actually going to impact opportunities in the field and and increase revenue of the company. I, I fully thought this was sort of a vision of the company. I was shocked when I came in and found out how many of our customers are actually doing it. Um, so that's not a future vision. That's happening right now. I'm, I'm curious if, if, if you have anything else uh, in your in your roadmap around the pre-sales product interlock, which to me is a super exciting component of the platform. Yeah, I think that, I mean, you're touching on that that early stage part of it here where we, we're trying to shape the way people think about how to, how, what is the best way to evolve my product, right? What are the features that I should go build? Yeah, exactly. And, and be able to do all of that. I think that um, when we when we think, sort of about what else we can do with that space. It's really, again, gets back to the space of like uh, the product managers. We're not trying to, we don't want to take, you know, creative freedoms or anything like that away from these people. They, that, that, that's what they're built to do, right? What we want to do is give them the numbers and the, and the analytics to be able to say like, this is what the world is asking. You know, how does that, how does that fit into your vision for the product? And then how would you use that information to inform the, the sequence of the things that you go and build, right? And I think that when you get um, when you start to get sales uh, and pre-sales aligned with the product in that way, that is where the tipping point actually happens, is when you start to realize that like these are the same organization, right? You are all working for exactly the same goal. Product doesn't have a different goal than pre-sales team does. All of them are trying to do exactly the same thing, make the best company you can have. And I think real, that the work that we're doing in, in, in showing people like what is their opportunity cost of building this feature versus this other feature? What is their opportunity cost of, of giving this deal to this team versus a different team, right? 
all of those types of be all of those types of optimizations of the of the organization are things that I think when when you kind of synthesize that across, you get this space of, of realignment for the entire firm. And to me, that is the thing that is like the most most important thing. I think that we leave it companies leave a ton of value on the table because they're just not operating efficiently as a team, and it's because they don't have shared data that matters, right? The, the data that matters is this connection to your product, to the outside world. What is the what is the field saying? What is the product engineer saying? You bring those two things together in a way that they are green upon. And I think that we're going to see a dramatic change in the way people build technology. Yeah. I mean, I can just say just in, in, in the Vivens customer base, I see some of that shift already happening. So that's that's pretty exciting. What's, a, what's a, anything else kind of on your, on your near or far term roadmap? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of uh, work to do in terms of what's already in the platform, but anything else in your wish list? Um, right now, the things that I'm I'm really excited about um, is uh, less about, say, the product, but more about the building of the team. Um, like I, I'm a big believer in the in the concept of that team being the most valuable asset that you have. I know it's a cliche to say that, but um, anybody that's ever worked on a bad team knows um, how much how damaging that could be. And anybody that has ever worked in a great team like knows how rewarding that truly is. And right now, Vivin is like hitting this scale, right? We're we're about to we're we're like a rocket ship now, and it's going to be really, really exciting to bring on and expand out the data science team, expand out the engineering team, expand out our DevOps team, um, and start to bring people into the family, if you will. And that process is a thing that I actually really, really love. Um, I really enjoy like getting to know people, getting to understand how we work, to, how we can work better together, pushing people. Um, I'm never surprised uh, by how much people can actually do when you when you push them to um, to do bigger than what even they think they can. And it's really exciting. That to me is like the um, it's probably like my actually my probably my favorite thing over the next you know six months or so or six months to a year is is growing out the team and seeing what kind of culture evol- evolves out of that. Um, and you know, um, continuing to build great things. Yeah. It's, I really enjoy building out the team too. I, I totally agree with you. And, uh, and you're absolutely right that the team cliche becomes less of a cliche once you've lived both an awesome and a bad one, uh, yeah. it, it, it actually becomes some, something I think I'm sure you would, uh, relate to the thing you look for the most when you're choosing a new organization to join, what's the caliber of the team. And well, this is technically uh, Vivian's quiet week when we're all supposed to take time off. Uh, tell me you're doing something fun over the next week before you join with both feet first. <laughs> uh, well, it's my birthday today. So, um, I, Happy I, birthday, Joe. Yeah, thank you very much. I, um, I, I like to give you a podcast. How's that? How's that? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's my first, so I'm, I'm excited. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, I, I plan on, um, I plan on going out in the city a little bit. I have some friends in town that, um, you know, are coming to celebrate with me and there's, you know, we got a lot to celebrate. So, um, it's going to be, it's going to be a good time tonight, I'm sure. Well, Joe, for your first podcast, I think you performed exceptionally. Would you like to come back sometime and tell us uh, new things you've been uh, rolling out to Vivin? Absolutely. Joe, thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. Hi, brother. See you.